Welcome to Five Clubs, where we talk about golf and you get WWG uh, conducting the interview, and that's the world worst golfer, Jay Billis. Uh, I am uh, somewhat known for my work on basketball at ESPN, but I am a diseased golfer. There's nothing I love more than golf. And today we're joined by one of my most trusted colleagues in anything, but I work with him at ESPN, the great Marty Smith, uh, who started his career uh, doing NASCAR. Uh, he does college football. I've worked with him uh, on college basketball. There is no more trusted person in the business than Marty Smith because he is not only genuine and authentic, but he has tremendous empathy uh, for his subjects. So he can do an interview with a, a coach, a player that has just lost the biggest game of, of their career. Uh, and he can ask the tough question, but at the same time, uh, his authenticity uh, and his empathy uh, comes through. And he, he's, a, he's a trusted voice, an incredibly trusted person. And, uh, and if, you, if you need something to eat in any college town in America, the first, the first person you're going to call is Marty Smith. So we're honored to have one of the truly great human beings and great professionals uh, in broadcasting who's just gotten into golf in the last several years and has already engendered amazing trust on the range, on the course, uh, with the players, the caddies, the agents, you name it. Uh, we're honored to have Marty Smith. Marty, thanks for joining us. Uh, one of my most trusted colleagues at ESPN, and you're just coming off the the PGA Championship at Southern Hills in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You have to be wiped after uh, after five or six days in Tulsa. H how was the experience at the PGA for you? Uh, first of all, man, it's awesome to be here. I appreciate you having me. There is uh, nobody at the company that I respect more than you. Your your voice not only in the college basketball world, which is uh, the most respected, but also the, the, all the goings-on in the NCAA and how it's all unfolding in such a unique way that currently is the Wild West. That's a whole other story for another time, <laughs> I guess. But um, I, I, I am grateful that, that I have the opportunity to spend some time fellowshipping with you. But I can't lie, man, I'm pretty gassed. It was an amazing time. What a stunning facility. Uh, the folks that run Southern Hills Country Club were first class. Uh, the course was immaculate and provided one hell of a challenge for the field, uh, as we saw. And I just couldn't be more complimentary of the golf course, of the folks that run it, and Tulsa. Jay, I'd never been to Tulsa before. What a cool little town. It is sneaky cool. And great restaurants and bars and, and things to do. And I'm kind of a running cycling nerd. They got this greenway that runs for miles down the river. And so I was thoroughly impressed with every aspect of it. What was your takeaway from the championship? So you were there start to finish and saw everything. Uh, one thing that you, that you left Southern Hills with. That Justin Thomas uh, is everything I thought he was and more. Uh, he's somebody that I've been a fan of, the way that he competes, uh, the way that he prepares, and his attitude. 
It's he's somebody that I've long admired, even though he's not even 30 yet. But watching him do his job on Sunday, watching him make sure that he put together a round that he knew leaving that place, there was nothing I could have done except for maybe on six, not shank it over there in a the parking lot somewhere, which he's been really funny about that. But he did his job to the utmost ability that he had, and it ultimately won him a golf tournament in a moment when on Sunday morning – Actually, let me back up. Matt Berry and I, the great Matt Berry, and I went to dinner on Saturday evening, and we were talking about uh, Mido and the folks that we thought were going to run away with it or had an opportunity to win it, and Justin Thomas wasn't in our conversation. In fact, we said, man, what a shame it is that Justin Thomas is not up there, is not up there in contention to win this thing. And to come from seven shots back and beat a budding superstar in Will Zalatoris whose time is coming too, go Deeks. Uh, I just learned, I, I, I learned and confirmed everything I already thought about JT. Uh, he's one of the best in the world, and that won't be his last major championship. Well, take us through the week for Marty Smith. So you, you arrive at Southern Hills, you're, you're early, you know, covering golf last tournaments. Sunday. Yeah, covering golf tournaments is a long slog. I mean, you're there a long time. Uh, what do you do day to day? Uh, out on the range, out on the course, talking to people. How, how do yep. you do your job at a, at a major championship? My role at e in ESPNs, I mean, there are, it's a cast of thousands. It's a cornucopia of folks who show up for, for ESPN to cover these things, whether it's the Masters, the PGA Championship, whatnot. And my role is get players to talk. That is, that is why Mike McQuaid, who runs golf for ESPN, who is an absolutely brilliant mind, that's what my role is. And so I get there. I show up on Monday. Monday and Tuesday are big-time press conference days for the players. They go in. They address the larger media assemblage. And then it's my job to get them to come over to us for one-on-one -on -one conversations. And that is – I mean, probably the top 20 guys in the world, uh, plus Tiger Woods, of course. And so that's my Monday, Tuesday. Starting Wednesday, I go to the driving range. Wednesday, I'm on the driving range getting guys as they're coming to work to do their final practice round. Thursday, Friday, I am doing post-round interviews. So when they come off of the course after their round, they come to this tent that is set up. It's a CBS slash ESPN uh, unified front. And I do five hours. I do a five hour shift of post round. Mine was usually, usually 11 to four. And then Michael Eaves takes over for Thursday, Friday and Amanda Ballion, I forget Amanda Renner is her name. Now she got married. She married Bryn Renner. Uh, Amanda Renner takes over for the CBS portion on the weekend. And then Saturday, Sunday, I'm kind of all over the place. Saturday, Sunday, I'm back on the range. As the guys are coming to work for their final two rounds, I ask them to have a word before they go start their work on the driving range, which is always kind of dicey. I mean, those guys are heading to work, man. And I tell you, Jay, I, I, am, I am so grateful that so many of those guys, even if they – like there are guys like Brooks Kepka, John Rahm, uh, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, they just – Patrick Reed, they have, they have a schedule that 
patently does not include media before they play. It is, it is non-negotiable. But they all come over and they say what's up and they bust my balls about being the only guy there in a suit. And, <laughs> you know, it's, but it, it's, it's awesome to have built relationships with those guys where if they can give you time, they do. And they don't have to do that. The Rory McElroys of the world. Uh, I'm just grateful that they do that because it allows me to win and thereby allows ESPN to win. You know, you, you and I have worked together several times on the, on the basketball front. And one of the things that's impressed me most about you and, and your professional uh, duties is how trusted you are by your subjects. And when, when you start to compare uh, how uh, your subjects are, your interview subjects in the different sports, so whether you're interviewing Nick Saban or you're interviewing Mike Shashevsky or Brooks Kepka, whomever it is, how do golfers compare with how forthcoming they are, how, how easy or difficult it is to, to gain their trust with the other sports that you cover? They are, if, if, if our barometer is other sports, they are on, they, their candor and their honesty is refreshing and that is a, everyone with whom I've, I've associated or, or interviewed in the golf world. And at this point, I've interviewed most of them. Uh, they have, uh, I mean, the rig, I went down to, I went down to Hope Sound, a medalist golf club last Monday I th or two Mondays ago. It's all running together. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> in early May. Uh, and uh, Ricky Fowler has not played well in the last three years. He's really been on this journey to kind of find his way. And I requested an interview with him, a sit down where we could spend a morning together and learn about that journey because he's one of the most popular players that's ever breathed. And his influence on the game is obvious. You see all of these little kids wearing orange and that didn't exist before Ricky. And so I go down to medalist and I spend a morning with Ricky Fowler, whom I had never met previously, his honesty and his candor about how in our, as, as analysts of, you know, black and white sports, you know, you win or you don't, you shoot six under or you don't, but as a man, a new husband, a new father who has life perspective in the human element, he loves the last three years. Yeah, it sucks to suck. But there, you know, he's going home to something that is so much larger and it actually invigorates him to become better. Not everybody's willing to say those things. You know that. We've been around them all, man. People like insecurity is rampant in this world. And so people want to posture in such a way that deflects that insecurity. I don't see, I mean, how many athletes have we seen who try to pretend like they don't care what the media says about them or they don't care what people think? A lot of people say that, but not a lot of them really mean it. Brooks Kepka is one of those five or six people I've covered ever who genu genuinely don't give a damn what you think. And I love that about him. I asked him on the driving range on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday or later? I forget. I asked him one day this week. You know, four-time major champion, has won the PGA twice. When the lights are on, that guy balls. What is it about your attitude? What is it about your preparation that allows you 
to be that person on this stage? And he said, man, it's pretty simple. The more difficult it is, the more I like it. And I love that kind of answer. So, yeah, golfers are very honest. And, and I love whether it's Tiger Woods uh, all the way down. They have been amazing to learn from and, and to have the blessing to ask questions. How did you get to, to, to Tiger Woods? How did you get your first interview with him? Where Because it seems like he's, he's one of the guys that really trusts you. Uh, how did you engender that trust with, uh, with Tiger? I went down to Medalist in 2018, May, uh, March 1st of 2000. You, you think it was an important day in my career when I remember the exact date? <laughs> uh, and, and we requested 20 minutes with him. This was post-back fusion surgery, but pre-winning at Atlanta at the end of 2018 and certainly pre-Augusta National 2019. And I went down there and we requested 20 minutes. And I'll, I'll just tell you kind of the way the whole thing unfolded. This is an awesome story. So when I'm preparing for an interview like that, I voraciously prepare and read and any question that comes to mind, I put it on paper. And then I pare down that massive list to like 10 questions. That's it. And then I really study those 10. And before the interview, I crumple up those 10 and throw them away so that it becomes a conversation, not me staring at the next question while you're answering this one. I have my ears open and my mouth shut because, Jay, you've done a trillion interviews too. Invariably, the question that elicits the greatest response is why. Something that simple, the follow-up. So I'm in the middle of really studying those 10, sitting in the foyer of the medalist golf club, clubhouse and this shadow washes across the door and I look up and it's tiger F woods. I could, I was like, Oh my Lord, it's him. So I stand up to shake his hand. I stick my hand out. He goes, nah, bro, bring it in. And he gives me this huge hug. He goes, you want to know the coolest thing I've ever seen on ESPN? And I was like, sure. He goes, when Dale Earnhardt jr. Was running his last race in NASCAR after that race, you interviewed him. And then you two shotgunned a beer right there on sports center. He said, that's the coolest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. I was like, brother, we're going to get along just fine. In fact, you go win Augusta, I'll be waiting at 18 for you with a cold one. And I just kind of, it really, it elim that moment eliminated any nerves I had. Like, okay, this is a dude. This guy's a dude. And we sat down and he allowed me to ask him open-ended questions about whatever I wanted for those 20 minutes and his publicist with at like 1930 kind of stepped in and said one more question and tiger goes glenn it's cool he's like marty just go i'm enjoy i'm just go i'm enjoying this and we went for 40 and it was just such an amazing moment where this man who had had the issues in his personal life who had gone through so much injury and some of the things he told me that day about the back where his back was so painful, there were days he couldn't get out of bed at all. And some days when he did, he just fell to the ground because he was in so much pain. He felt like an absent father because he couldn't go out in the backyard and kick a soccer ball with Sam or lay in the floor and play Legos with Charlie. And he was full of humility and gratitude that he'd been offered this new opportunity.
no chance he'd ever win Augusta National again. But he's Tiger Woods, and he did it. And so I think it was just I – th- I think a lot of folks like Coach K, like Coach Saban, like Tiger, if they see that you've taken the time to prepare to make their time worthy, like you are respecting that time, they're going to reciprocate that. And wait, wait, was that the most starstruck uh, you've ever been walking into an interview? Nope. Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo. The, so- yeah. the soccer superstar. You want to feel pretty inadequate, brother. Take a selfie with that guy. Uh, my, my parents, when I was a little boy, would tell me about the Beatles and how, you know, these, these beautiful young ladies would just pass out and faint at the sight of Paul McCartney and John Lennon. I'm like, whatever, man. Dude, I saw it happen. I went to Shanghai and Beijing, China with Cristiano Ronaldo for eight days, seven or eight days. And I saw these young ladies just fall out at the sight of the man. And I'm sitting there like, holy bleep, man. This is nuts. But he was super cool, too. Well, you've seen that before working with me. I was just going to say that. That happens, that happens say, all the time. It's a, it's a lot like walking into Cameron Indoor with Jay Billing. Cameron or, you know, Athens, Georgia happens all the time. <laughs> so when, when, when you're at a golf tournament, uh, is, is the most enjoyable time for you as a professional on the range when you're interacting with the players or is it, is it post round? Cause one, one of the things Marty, that was most interesting to me was how Mito Pereira handled, uh, his, his post 18 double that that essentially lost him a chance for a major championship. And I was blown away by how uh, authentic he was. Uh, and I'm sure he was with you, but with Amanda Renner right afterwards, the fact that he stood there for the interview and how how genuine he was in that moment. Uh, you don't see that all the time. So what what's the most enjoyable for you as a pro? Uh I would say post round because you have this, first of all, they have done the job for the day. So they are analyzing in that moment too what success and failure was. And golfers amaze me, man. They know every shot they've ever taken in their career. Every one. Oh yeah. 2012 down at quail hollow. Uh, it was, a. uh, my, this my second shot on six. I pulled out a, you know, it's just insane to me that they have that inside their, their minds. So I enjoy that. And you can ask much more definitive questions post round pre round. Most guy like uh, one of my colleagues walked over to me on Sunday morning. He was following Jordan Spieth in one of the um, grouping ESPN plus has these, select group uh feeds and john mcginnis was with jordan spieth he came over to me he goes man i feel for you you got the worst job in sports he said trying to talk to these guys before they're going to work and i'm like man i love it if they say no it's that's not an indictment against me they just don't that like they're going to work and so it is always unique to approach someone before they're going out and try to figure out what question and or questions to ask that are insightful for the viewer and not annoying or condescending to the player. Make sense? It makes perfect sense. But but does that differ 
Does it differ in any way with golf as opposed to football? You know, you do a, a pregame interview with Saban, you got to get him at halftime and maybe yes. something postgame. Uh, are golfers different in the way you have to approach them relative to, to football or NASCAR or basketball? No, uh, but there's an understood, there's an understanding for Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh that doesn't exist in golf. What's that? There's a, the understanding is we do this. It's part of being the head coach at the University of Michigan to talk to me right before. Like, I did an interview with Harbaugh as they're teeing the ball up at the, at the Orange Bowl last uh, New Year's Eve. And he was like, we're doing another one? And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm just – I'm going to ask you a quick question right before and, – and I'm asking Jim Harbaugh, what was your message to your – final message to your team? And he, like, got all disheveled, and he, like, he's throwing his hat on, and he's like, it's time, Marty, let's let it rip. And, like, his dip's flying out of his mouth. And it was just <laughs> – but the coaches know. It's – I don't know if it – I'm not smart enough to know what's contractual and what's not, but that's your, that's your, that's your side of the fence. But there's an understanding for John Calipari at halftime most of the time unless he's uber pissed off to talk to me. There's an understanding there. and. The golfers don't have that. They might have it coming off post round, but going to work, they don't. You know, you, you've, you've got amazing empathy. I was telling some, some friends of mine just a minute ago before we started that, you know, I've never seen you have a bad day. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about that in a minute. But would you rather, as a, as a professional that, that loves to get to the depth of, of every subject, would you rather interview the winner of a major championship or would you rather interview the player that wound up in the position of Mito Pereira? Both isn't an option, huh? Both um, is not an option. You only get one. Amanda gets the other. You get first pick. In the context of the PGA championship, I would want Justin Thomas. Um, just in that context. I think life is context and repetition, so I think every single moment is different. If Tiger Woods is winning the Masters, I want Tiger Woods. If, uh, you know, Jean Vandeveld is losing the whatever open that was back in the day, I might want him because it's this stripped moment of intense vulnerability where that empathy really matters. Um, in the Mito Justin context, I think I would want Justin because I feel like he really broke through a barrier there. I, you know, it had been five years since he won a major, and um, everybody has unbelievable expectations of him because his God-given ability is obvious, and the work that he puts in is ob uh, equally obvious. So I would probably want him in that context. But you, as you said earlier, I mean, Mito's, Mito's candor in failure and honesty in failure was inspiring. He might have inspired more people by what he said in failure than what he would have as a victor. And maybe don't tell the folks in Chile that because mm -hmm. they, were, they were so ready to embrace their, their native son that way. And he'll get his. I, I, I truly believe that. Outside of Justin and Mito, uh, who impressed you the most uh, at Southern Hills? Will Zalatoris. And what about Zalatoris? He's, he's, got that, he's got that gene, man. He's got that – he has that big stage thing. 
it's like we've been we've been lauding Jimmy Butler during the playoffs. I know as you and I sit here and speak, he's nursing a bit of an injury. But there, there there's those guys that uh, an NBA regular season game on December 28th does not matter. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my job, but I, th- th- it's just not – That's I believe that right now in his career, that's how Will Zalatoris uh, approaches the Honda. But when it's, when it's one of those four weeks in, in the year, that kid is there. And that's different, man. It's different when you live for that moment, when you live for that stage. And it's readily obvious to me that he does. He has whatever that is. Anybody you'd compare him to on on the football or basketball side? He's so new in his professional career. Um, I'd have to think about that. Dead air is the worst thing that we could possibly have, but no, not yet. I mean, uh, uh, that uh, Jimmy Butler came to mind just because it's fresh, and I've heard so many of you guys who analyze basketball for a living mention him in that vein recently because when it is playoff time, when there is a, a, a ring at stake or a winner-go-home moment, that guy's going to go for 40, and he's going to defend his ass off, and he's going to will his teammates to excellence. That's a very rare trait. I mentioned before about, you know, working with you and in my experience, you've never had a bad day. Your attitude is amazing. You're always up and uh, you're, you genuinely care about people uh, and, and what they're going through. What, what annoys Marty Smith? What pisses you off? What, what gets you off your great attitude on a particular day? I was standing on the driving range on Sunday morning and I had the opportunity uh, for normally when I am done at the PGA championship and the masters is when the last pairing leaves the range, I'm usually done because the great Gene Wojciechowski does our Sunday conversation with the winner after he wins the tournament. And I can usually just go watch golf or if I want to go home. Well, Sunday was my youngest daughter, Vivian's 10th birthday. And I am in a profession where, and a role in that profession where I travel all the time. And my kids, all they've ever known is that daddy travels. It's all they've ever known. Oh, where is dad today? Like it's at the point at school where classmates of my children who love sports and watch you and I all the time are like, where's your dad? I think I saw him at, and my son or my daughters will be like, I'm not sure where dad is. (laughs) And so that's just all they've ever known. Right. And and my wife let me know that my youngest, uh, who's my homie, that she was upset that she had had voiced frustration or, or whatnot that I was not going to be here on her birthday this year. And so I made it my mission. I'm going to be home on her birthday. I'm going to get there. So I talked through it with my bosses. I confirmed that I would be able to make a 3.30 flight out of Oklahoma city that would land in Charlotte, North Carolina at seven Oh nine, which means I could be in my door at Lake Norman by eight. We're going to go out as a family. We're going to have ice cream. Daddy's going to be there. As I'm standing there waiting on Rory McElroy to come over the stairway from the practice green to the driving range, my phone buzzes in my pocket. I interview Rory. 
who's the nicest human being in sports, by the way. Everything y'all think about Rory McIlroy is true. He's a wonderful man. Phone buzzes in my pocket. I get done with Rory. Thank him for his time. Look at my phone, and it's that dreaded ESP uh, – pardon me, dreaded American Airlines app. Flight such and such, OKC to Charlotte, has been canceled. Uh. We are working to rebook you now. And I went from the most wonderful attitude of grateful energy and, and gratitude to pissed off seeing red in one second. And because of that uncontrollable variable that is controlling your life that you can do literally nothing about. And so I chewed nails for a moment. My whole, I'm, you said it there. I'm, I try to always have joy in my heart all the time. And when I, when that shifts, people can tell. I can't hide it. So it affects my whole crew. And I can't let that happen. That's not fair to them. So I try to pretend like I'm not upset. Our amazing operations crew, many of whom you know, because they've probably helped you out countless times as well. Dawn Wind and Becca Preston and Chandon Hudgens went feverishly to work trying to get me home to my baby girl. And ultimately, they succeeded. I took an Uber to Northwest Arkansas Airport in Fayetteville. I flew on Delta in a middle seat through Atlanta in the last row of the airplane. But I was at Andy's Frozen Custard at 945 at night with my little girl. So that's the kind of thing that just sends me to tilt. But I'll tell you this, Jay. The reason that I have that attitude is... I have failed in my life. I have hurt people that I would give anything to have back. I have lost my parents entirely too young. I was 21 when my mom died. I was 31 when my daddy died. And I have, through all of these things, I, for so long in my life, was driven by ego-driven insecurity. That's what drove me. And when I got to a place where I realized I am so full of gratitude for the platform that ESPN is, but it does not define me as a human being, everything changed for me. And I realized very quickly that in this world of so many uncontrollables, I, de I determine kindness, effort, and passion. They're mine. How kind are you to the people in your midst? How badly do you want to give every last ounce of yourself to whatever the task is? And will you do it with an undeniable positive energy? Because if you do those things, which are yours every day, you cannot lose. And that does, I, I don't succeed all the time, but I wake up every day with that mantra and it has afforded me blessings beyond what I deserve. And I'm just full of, and I have a wife who puts up with my stuff, who is my best friend. We just celebrated our 22nd anniversary and her selflessness inspires me all the time. So I'm just, man, that that's why I kind of roll that way. Well, and that's why, that's why you're so trusted. I mean, right, right there. That that's Marty Smith. We'll get you out of here with Gary Williams, five burning questions. 
So question number one, what's your favorite college town and why? Um, I would say, I would say Oxford, Mississippi. Um, I love the Grove. I love their square there. It's extremely authentic to what that area is. And if you have not been, I highly suggest going. Dinner with three of your subjects, no family, no friends, just your subject, people you've interviewed, uh, who would they be? They would be Tiger Woods, Nick Saban, and um, probably John Calipari. Who's picking up the check in that crew? Calipari all day long <laughs> and he'll tell you about it <laughs> if ESPN came to you and offered you a bazillion dollars but said Marty you can only cover one sport what would it be college football and w- what about college football brings that answer it's the if we're being honest it's the connection to my daddy uh I grew up in nowhere, Virginia, in Appalachia, 25 miles west of Virginia Tech's campus. And we didn't have a ton when I was little. And every now and then, my old man would come rustle me awake and say, boy, get up. We're going over the mountain. And I knew that meant we were going to watch Virginia Tech play football. And at that time, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, it was terrible football. Frank Beamer had just gotten there. He was laying those foundational bricks to the empire that he ultimately built. But just because they were one and nine, two and eight during those years, that didn't matter because I got to be in my dad's aura. He wasn't home a lot because he was working his ass off to keep food in our belly. And I could see this un bridled passion that he had for Virginia Tech football and that energy was beautiful to me and I got to feel his love and hope he felt mine and so college football has always had this very special place in my soul and in 2014 when NASCAR lost the broadcast rights and Lee Fitting who runs all of football now at ESPN for those of you listening and may not know that name He wrote me an email in 2014, the day I got home from the final NASCAR race and said, start studying college football. I'm going to embed you with one of the four teams that qualify for the inaugural college football playoff. I was like, what am I? I cannot be awake right now. This can't be real life. And they put me with Ohio State, who ultimately went on to beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl and blow Oregon out in the national championship to win the Natty. And it has been the most unbelievable blessing professionally to get to know all these coaches and learn, you know, like my favorite part of it is the players families. I love the opportunity to get to know these players, all those kids that got, I shouldn't call them kids. We're better than that. These young men who just got drafted off that Georgia defense. I did features on six of them last year. So I got to know them on a human level. So when they get, you know, when when the Kobe Dean drops in the draft all the way to the Philadelphia Eagles, I'm sitting there like I, I hurt for him because you talk about a beautiful young man with an unbelievable family. 
Philadelphia Eagles stole that guy. That's a 10-year starter, even if he doesn't play next year. So, I don't know, man. I could go on and on. I just I, – I get a lot of juice from college football. Aside from being with you, which is the best thing, the second best thing is you have an uncanny ability to find the best place to eat in any town we're in. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's your favorite thing to eat? Oh, my favorite thing to eat. Um, so I'm kind of annoying when it comes to nutrition. I eat a lot of fish. So I would say probably like a real good salmon or something is like my go-to but my favorite thing to eat is peanut butter. It's a vice. Like I don't eat a little bit of peanut butter, Jay. Like I'm the guy who, if I'm eating like a cliff bar, I'm dousing it in peanut butter. Uh, <laughs> I'm using it as a utensil. So my favorite thing to eat is peanut butter and cold beer, I guess. Favorite peanut butter, cold beer. That's a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite vacation spot. I have a house in South Jersey in Ocean City, New Jersey, Laney's hometown. And you would never imagine that old country boy from Appalachia would love South Jersey, but I am able to unplug there, genuinely unplug and leave the phone at the house, go to the beach, sip some Captain Morgan, and watch the waves and play with my kids. So I'm going to say Ocean City, New Jersey. Okay, you threw me on that one. I didn't yep. think Marty Smith's America included vacationing <laughs> in South Jersey. But that's a, that's a good one to end on. Mar Marty, you are the best. And uh, uh, I can't tell you, you are, you are, if not the most trusted colleague, you are on the top tier. And uh, thank, thank you, you for brother. spending time with us on Five Clubs. It means the world to me. And, and I meant what I said right off the top. Uh, there, there is nobody at the company who carries there might be other people there's nobody that carries more respect from colleagues from those they cover and certainly from viewership that you do because you're fearless you have the study you have the intellect to be able to combat bs and that is invaluable to that company and when you speak people listen and so I'm well, it's a blistering indictment, blistering indictment of all of our colleagues <laughs> at ESPN, but uh, I appreciate it, Marty. You're the best. Have a great one, brother. Thank you guys for you having too. me. Well, when you listen to Marty Smith, you can see why he is so trusted. Uh, and there's a depth to Marty uh, in his answers about, you know, what annoys him. It goes to, down to the core of who he is as a, as a human being. Uh, just an amazing person, amazing pro, and uh, an amazing colleague. We hope you enjoyed this five-club conversation as much as we did, and we'll see you next time.